0: Plugged In Podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm Alex Stevens, a policy analyst at the Institute for Energy Research. This week, the Trump administration announced that it was planning to roll back the corporate average fuel economy mandates and revoke the waiver that allowed California to set its own emission mandates for cars and trucks. The current CAFE mandates require that car makers reach a fleet average of 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. After the rule change, their new goal would be around 37 miles per gallon. U.S. automakers have kept quiet about the rule change, but environmental groups are already bemoaning the damages they believe increased emissions will cause. Joining me today to discuss this topic are my colleagues Jordan McGillis, who is a policy analyst here at IER, and our director of policy, Kenny Stein. Guys, thank you for joining me today.
1: All right, let's
2: do it. Nowhere else I'd rather be, Alex.
0: Why don't we start with Kenny? Can you give us some background on the CAFE standards and then just uh, what is the Department of Transportation's justification for wanting to roll back these rules?
1: Yeah, so this is actually, this is a very significant decision that they've decided to take. Uh, The Department of Transportation is basically taking back control over the CAFE program. Uh, They, under the Obama administration, the CAFE, because of the way that greenhouse gas regulations and fuel economy interact, the Department of Transportation and the EPA were, you know, supposedly worked together to come up with these standards, and now it appears that Department of Transportation is firmly stepping back in and saying, hey, you know what, we're actually the lead agency here. We want to be in control.
0: What do you guys think about this? It's, uh, I think this is a little bit more of an aggressive move than we were expecting out of the Transportation Department, right? Well, yeah, I
1: don't know. Uh, it's, That's not to it's, say it couldn't be
0: better, but yeah, right.
1: Well, it, you know, it's fairly aggressive. What's actually interesting is that it, I was surprised that Department of Transportation actually won the fight over EPA. I because EPA has been you know taken over control of all this for a long time, so I was actually a little surprised that Department of Transportation seems to be in control in the driver's seat. Um,
2: and yeah, and it's interesting uh, from our perspective because historically speaking it does make sense that DOT would take the reins here, but at the same time, the whole cafe program is ridiculous and we don't really want DOT to be in charge of that either. Yeah, Well,
1: obviously the cafe program itself, yeah, it's a relic of the seventies. Like it's when we were supposedly running out of oil, like there's no reason for it anymore, but if we're going to have it, it's a transportation policy. So it really should be run by the department of transportation. Um, And frankly, the law itself says transportation is the number one agency. So it's, it's, right and proper that transportation should be in charge but the what the the really interesting thing for me was how that they are they are going after uh, California's special ability to run the run the program essentially what they were handed to CARB was handed to control the program under the Obama administration
2: give our listeners a little more on that what was the interaction between the federal government and California uh that in your perspective, put California in charge of this to a degree.
1: Yeah, well, literally, they the, the way the Obama administration did it, it was the Obama EPA, Department of Transportation, and the California Air Resources Board. Like Those are the three agencies in the room that dictated these standards that they came out with. So it's literally, and I, I don't know if you guys have probably seen the quote, but it's, it was in the New York Times, but they actually bragged that they didn't put anything in writing at these meetings. Like They were doing it in secret to,
0: to impose on the rest of the country.
2: If, on, if only that new New York Times columnist would have done the same. Yeah,
0: <laughs> about forty percent of the U.S. auto market gears the products that they're building towards California's uh, California standards. So obviously, their ability to sort of set that for the entire country back is gonna be a, gonna be a really big deal.
1: Oh yeah, it makes a lot it makes a big difference. And also the other thing is that that this really isn't truly a rollback. So a lot of people are trying to call it a rollback. It's really a freeze. Like they're. The standards are going to keep rising until twenty twenty one, and then they stop for the for the model years after that. So it's it's limiting the damage, I guess, from the from the previous standards. It's not really a limit. they're not really rolling them back. Sure. So
2: why not let California go its own way on this? What makes that unfeasible or illegal?
1: Well, the the reason that it, the Department of Transportation says it's illegal because the cafe law says that no state may make uh, any regulation relating to fuel economy related to governing fuel economy or related to fuel economy
2: and they have a mandate that pertains to clean air right or sorry they have the waiver the, that wa- right. the be- waiver that california
1: air. has had for a long time is in the clean air act mm-hmm. which is completely separate from mm-hmm. the cafe law and under the clean air act they have they can regulate other pollutants but there here's the this is this is what's going to have to be litigated frankly by the supreme court is that uh, the Department of Transportation and EPA under the Trump administration are now saying that greenhouse gases, specifically from the tailpipe, are so indistinguishable from fuel economy. Literally, the way you reduce CO two emissions from the tailpipe is you use less fuel. Like that's literally it's almost one for one. Therefore, they are the same. They are they qualified related to, and there can't be state level uh, regulations on it. And that that's never been litigated, so we don't yeah. we don't actually know how that'll ultimately come out.
0: I'm actually interested to hear like what you guys think about that. Um, do you guys think that federalism should apply to regulation? Basically, that uh, creating competing regulatory environments will be better off for for what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, that's honestly that's that's a tough one uh, because there, there's a reason interstate commerce is in is written into the Constitution. Like there's. You can't be impeding trade across state lines however it's i i mean i honestly ideologically i think it's perfectly right and proper that if a state wants to have tougher you know environmental regulations they should i mean they should have that option to do that um so i think the problem the key is here like you have cars travel across state lines and obviously the auto dealers want one state uh one national standard so where do you draw that line i'm not i'm not sure however That's not the, that's our sort of our philosophical discussion, but the legal discussion is that Congress already drew that distinction. They said for fuel economy, there's no state, there's no state role at all. So
2: I think the, the philosophical discussion is the much more interesting one. Uh, but it's not, it's not easy to, to parse that out. I think, um, my, my general inclination is to leave these sorts of things to the states as much as possible, um, Provided that there isn't a, a gross uh, disregard for the rights of, of the citizens citizens within those states in terms of the Constitution, things like that. Um, well,
1: what about the, the rights of the citizens of other states? You well, know, right. California doesn't make the cars. Michigan makes the cars. So if California is forcing regulations on car companies in Michigan, like, well, how yeah, do you deal with that?
0: It, that doesn't necessarily necessarily prevent a company from being started that only builds cars that are geared towards the rules in California, I guess. But Tesla. I, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree with so Alex there. Is. I'm not
2: particularly moved by what you're saying there, Kenny, about consumers in other states being controlled by Californians. It's the companies in this theoretical. If we just eliminate the the laws here, we just talk about theory. If one state has regulations on which cars can be sold in that state, it's up to the automakers to decide what cars they're going to make, where they're going to sell them. Um, So there is, and even in the context of the existing laws, some of the onus is on the automakers, is it not?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's why I, I actually, I know the automakers make the one national standard argument. It's not as persuasive to me, honestly, because... They already, you know, you sell cars with a cold weather package, four-wheel drive. Like, there's all sorts of right. different features that they sell in different parts of the country. So, you know, the one national standard I, I, make, probably makes their lives easier. But I'm not sure it's required by the Constitution. No, that's
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, one more point on automakers. The negotiations with the Obama administration uh, and the California Air Regulations Board those took place in the aftermath of what?
1: Right. This was happening in 2009 when the government owned Chrysler and GM, frankly, literally owned them. And Ford, you know, managed to technically stay independent, but they were also kind of independent. Sure. And and certainly their parts suppliers were dependent on government support and that kind of stuff. Absolutely.
0: And it's embedded in a history of um, that sort of things. Obviously, like Chrysler bailouts in the 70s, too, so it's not like... Right. It's yeah. Not a yeah new thing. It, it, it wasn't not a new thing. thing. Uh, but what it was? was a long relationship but what was between what, an
1: industry and yeah? And what was new about it though is just the timing. Like they were literally, they were in no position to argue because literally the government was telling them what to do. So it's sort of there's some people that have described it like they were, you know, they're like hostages of the government at this point, and so they're just so terrified of the government coming after them or beating them more that they just don't want them. Just they just want them to stop. So, yeah, that's. And I understand. I understand the auto dealers, like or oh, not the auto dealers, the auto manufacturers. Uh, you know, I understand where they're coming from, but you know what's easiest for their business to, isn't necessarily the best, best policy. For yeah, yeah, what's best for the American people or best for the consumer.
2: Yeah. And now the dealers, they have a completely different set of interests, right? They tend to be strongly opposed to the to these strict uh, right. fuel mandates because it depresses sales.
1: Right. That's what's so interesting is that the dealers are actually at odds with the manufacturers on this. Because, yeah, like like you said, they they think that, probably because Cafe, it does raise the price of new vehicles. And if vehicles are more expensive, people keep their old cars longer. So the dealers would prefer people to be buying a new car every five years or so, instead of holding on to a car, you know, 10, 15 years. So, yeah, the dealers, the dealers have actually consistently been on the other side of the manufacturers on this stuff which is very it's very interesting that's part of what cleaves you know this whole discussion cleaves things a little differently
0: it's interesting too because obviously the dealers are the people in the whole process who are closest to the customer and this uh this freeze in um in increasing the mandates uh is obviously great for consumers Um,
1: right yeah well and the dealers also understand that People want to buy SUVs. They want big cars. Right. You know, yeah. it's, the government, right. can, the government right. can demand that you put, buy electric cars, but if people don't want to buy them, they're not going to buy them.
2: Well, and the most ridiculous argument that you hear made in favor of stricter uh, mandates on fuel economy is that this is going to save people at the pump. That argument is ridiculous. People can choose to buy a more efficient vehicle if we're given that liberty in the market. Exactly. Uh, there is exactly. going to be... A market for fuel-efficient vehicles. There's going to be a market for larger vehicles that are less fuel-efficient. Uh, and to say that these these regulations are going to give us savings at the pump is just ludicrous.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And if if you want an electric vehicle, if you don't want to pay for gas, you can get an electric vehicle. When you freeze when we freeze the cafe standards, it doesn't mean you can't get electric vehicles anymore. It just means that you'll be able to get a car that's not artificially the price isn't artificially inflated by this regulation.
2: You mentioned briefly the uh, electric vehicle issue in California that's potentially a little hang-up. What's going on well, right with that?
1: Well, that's what's, that's what's very interesting about it. And it's the one part of the regulation that I'm the least certain about, is that the Department of Transportation takes their preemption argument uh, all the way to preempting Cal- California's zero-emission uh, zero vehicle program, which is basically trying to force force the elimination of the combustion engine, frankly. But they're, yeah, it's, they are trying to push electric vehicles on everyone. And they hand out lots of subsidies and credits to try and force this. And Department of Transportation is saying that, you know what, that program is a fuel economy program and therefore is preempted by the CAFE standards law.
2: Well, and then that gives credence to this federal government overreach argument that we're going to hear when they do take that additional step that may not have been necessary to make great strides.
1: Right. That's the thing is, that's the one place I think is a little bit tenuous. The one thing is, is that the, the California government did say when they did their zero emission vehicles, they literally said, this is not about emissions. This is about, you know, this is like, they literally said that, even though they're now trying to say it's about pollution. So they've got them on record doing that, but- you know their intent isn't necessarily what matters in court it's the like the legal text it's like it becomes a textual discussion so i'm not i'm not sure where that that, that one's going to go i think they've got a better case on the the clean air act waiver side of it preempting that uh but you know that's again that's going to end up in the supreme
0: court a few years from now and we'll see uh like bu- built into a lot of these conversations is just sort of the assumption that any decrease in emissions is good no matter what the cost and certainly like the way that uh, cafes talked about, I feel like a lot of people just sort of take it for granted that that's good. Yeah. We're seeing emissions reductions. Uh, why is that wrong, I guess?
1: Well, there's always the there's always the question of diminishing returns. You know, forty years ago, this is this applies to a lot of a lot of regulations, not just environmental, it's everything. Like initially when the river's is lighting on fire because it's so polluted, yeah. Almost any decrease in that is good, but at some point, like you're you can't eliminate. You're never going to have perfectly pristine, clean air. There's a question. It's just you're getting a. You've got to get to a point where it's safe. I mean, there, there's right. a difference yeah. between clean
2: and safe. Another point I would add there is, even if your priority is the reduction of emissions, whether those be greenhouse gas emissions or otherwise, this approach of Putting a mandate on the on the automakers is not the most efficient way to go about it. You can do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, the most logical way that you hear from economists that are on the tend to be on the right is the Pigovian style tax on emissions, rather than this mandate on what you can produce and sell.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the other thing is that you know instead of a cafe, if the goal is to reduce fuel consumption, then increase gas tax. Why are we doing this mandate on the manufacturers? And, of course, the reason is is that it's unpopular to raise the gas tax because that can be directly traced back to the politicians, whereas the costs of the CAFE mandates are much yeah, more yeah. hidden, much harder to calculate. And so, it's I
0: mean, it's obviously intentional.
2: But... we have any figures here on what those costs are for the average car buyer?
0: Um, I saw Heritage release a study. I think it's a couple of years old, but they were looking at the increase in costs uh, leading up to – Two thousand sixteen it was gonna be like thirty six hundred dollars a car, I think. Right, was it the Kreutzer first study? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then to twenty five, I think it was another three thousand dollars. Yeah, and, um, the, and more the that you're paying into yeah, like, and the regu- buying a new car. And the regulation that just came out, the Department of Transportation,
1: I think, calculated is like twenty three hundred and fifty dollars per car will be saved or something by freezing. So but here's the thing, is it's hard to calculate. And that's intentional. They don't they wanna hide those costs. They don't want them to be you know, on the sticker that you're buying. They don't want they don't want you to know the cost of the regulation.
2: Does anyone trot out the old uh, national security or fuel security argument nowadays, or has that completely fallen out of the dialogue now that we are such a large producer of, of oil?
1: Yeah, you never... I haven't, you know, I haven't heard that much of that so far. Obviously, this is still early days in this debate, but I think a lot of that has fallen off. Sometimes you still hear the... This, the RFS discussions on, right, yeah, but the biofuel, the biofuel, the yeah. biofuel guys say that a lot. But right, right. I, I uh, haven't heard that yet on uh, on that much on the electric car. Uh,
2: and in the say. in the late '70s, when this emerged, it was in the aftermath of uh, really a government manufactured fuel crisis, and then it was this cafe policy was then re-upped in the 2000s when uh, the price of of gasoline was really high, price of oil was really right. high um in those late bush years
1: yeah so yeah no but that has been the justification for a long time was national security but of course the last 10 years 10 plus years we've had the shale boom domestic production boom and that's that's not a persuasive argument yet anymore for anyone anyone who knows what's happened with u.s energy that's that and i think that's part of why that has not yet been a big talking
0: point point. i'm not sure it will be mm-hmm so I think that's about all the time we have, uh, Kenny. I'm gonna give you the last word on this, though. What else should uh, our listeners be looking at when it comes to these cafe mandates?
1: Yeah. So like, this is the beginning of the process. This literally is this is the starting gun. It's what is called an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, which is the first stage of the regulatory process. So there's going to be a proposed rule coming up. You know, after that, there's going to be the final rule. Then there'll be litigation. There'll be comment periods at, on, at every stage uh, on, as the rule evolves. So there'll be lots of opportunities for us at IR to get involved and individuals to comment at every stage of this, to weigh in and, you know, explain why they don't want their cars to be more expensive to
0: subsidize Californians. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Plugged In Podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And to learn more about our work, visit instituteforenergyresearch.org.